My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Could it be that the cure to what ails us is as prevalent and ubiquitous as hydrogen? We've been conditioned to think of modern medicine as a selection of rarefied herbs and laboratory concoctions, our missing macronutrient, the missing link between you and total health, optimal wellness, and an engaged awareness of your highest potential is hydrogen. After years of innovation and ingenuity, today's guest in pursuit of free energy amidst many failures and successes stumbled upon a hydrogen cure-all. With thousands of units already sold, AquaCure is surely exactly what you need. Stop everything you're doing and invest in better health. Invest in your highest potential today. Use promo code MFTIC and get 20% off a miraculous solution to the genocidal death cults array of depopulation tools. Take your health back with Brown's gas. Take your life back with AquaCure. Don't take it from me. Take it from the inventor himself, George Wiseman, today's guest, joining us here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with me, Mystic Mark. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with George Wiseman. I was doing fairly well in all of that. And for some reason, one of the uh, uh, customers that had bought a water torch decided to bubble the gas through water and drink the water, but also to put it on a melanoma on his forehead. So somehow he figured out that, or just thought that Brown's gas might enhance water. Uh, and, and then that he put that enhanced water on it on a melanoma. And in three weeks' time, that melanoma was gone. There's just the skin had healed. And he told me about this. And I didn't believe him. Okay. <laughs> I didn't say to his face I didn't believe him, but I didn't believe him. And he didn't have pictures or anything to prove it. But he told me what had happened. And so I put out to my several thousand email list at that particular time, back in 96, uh, that this was a potential use for Brown's gas where you could bubble it in water and use it for health purposes. If you don't have enough hydrogen, your body starts shutting down things that are not immediately life-threatening. So your regeneration systems generally are the first thing that gets shut off. So if you get a, a cut, you'll scar, for example. It won't heal the skin, it'll just patch it. 
and then your immune systems start shutting off. So you get sick a lot easier. And then if you still don't have enough hydrogen, then your organs start to fail and you die. So when you start getting enough hydrogen, usually what'll happen is your organs will start to heal. Your immune system comes back online. Like my organs, for example, my, my eyes have the same eyesight as I did when I was nine years old. I don't wear glasses anymore. I, I, do, I am nearsighted, so they're, I, I do have to wear glasses if I want to see things far away. Uh, but generally for just everything I do normally, I don't wear glasses anymore. The, um, and my heart, I, for 50 years I had a heart murmur. And uh, it was uh, three years ago or something. I'd been inhaling Brown's gas for about a year at that point. The, um, since March of 2016, so somewhere around March of 2017, I had the uh, 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 full physical done. And I told my doctor, he was a new doctor, he was doing a full physical, um, that I had a heart murmur. And he said, no, you don't. <laughs> for 50 years, I had a heart murmur. And then now I don't. So anyway, the organs heal. Uh, and the skin is the largest organ on the body. I had neuropathies on my on the fronts of my legs and on the palm of my left hand. It would get a burning sensation and then it would go numb and a burning sensation kind of like a rainbow. This was going and my and it would reach almost to my fingers where I couldn't feel the palm of my left hand. And I felt as I was inhaling over the weeks, I was getting a feeling back in my hand again. And about the time that I got all the feeling back in my hand. Uh, and by the way, I had arthritis as well, and, and so I had limited movement and pain. I have full movement, full strength, and no pain in my hands. But I also got the feeling back in my hands uh, from the neuropathy, and it turned. And then I suddenly realized I had the feeling back in the fronts of my legs as well. I, it totally had healed the neuropathy. The world is currently in turmoil. There's health issues, fuel prices are rising, and food shortages are on the horizon. What if there was a technology that helped people seldom get sick, helped the body heal three times faster, saved up to 50% on fuel, you could make your own fuel, and help plants grow up to 10 times faster? What if there was a technology that could do that? And that's what we're talking about today with the Browns guest. Yes, yes, my family thinks I'm crazy. I get 10% of the total cost when you use the promo code and you get 20% off. So it's a good deal. It helps me out, helps me pay for all the costs that go into creating a show like this. So thank you so much for listening and buy yourself an Aqua Cure today. It'll help out the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and it will help out your health. George, it's a pleasure to have you here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And I have heard several of your past interviews, and I encourage people to listen to those as well, because there's a lot of information to dive into. And I, I don't know if we'll be able to even scratch the surface, but this show is, is focused on family, the people, the ideas that will set us free. And I think you encompass all of that, your life what you're doing and the message you're spreading all fit into the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast concept, thesis, so to speak. So it's a pleasure to have you here. How are you today? 
I am doing great. And it's it's lovely to be on a podcast that my family thinks that I'm crazy because my family thinks I'm crazy too. <laughs> you got right ahead of me. I was gonna ask yeah. you that at some point in this conversation. What what makes them think you're crazy? Well, it, it, I guess it started a long time ago. I was always, uh, you might think of it as a contrarian. My father uh, was a cattle rancher. Mm. And and uh, so first thing I did out of agriculture college is start to raise goats. You know, <laughs> I guess. And I don't know if you know about how cattle ranchers feel about sheep and goats, but that, that so he thought I was crazy about that. But uh, I in agriculture college, I learned about milking cows, for example. You're familiar with that. And, uh, and, and you can have, I think it's four goats to a cow and it, and, and the goat milk, I, th- I find better. I, I thought it was better than the cow milk as far as uh, health is concerned. And if you have one goat get sick or stop lactating, uh, it isn't like losing a whole cow, right? So it's smaller increments and that, and they, and they're a lot more fun to be around than cows. Like I was around cows since I was a child, right? I, I knew cows, but the, uh, Anyway, so I decided in agriculture college to do a minor in goats, and I and I concentrated on that, and and began and began with that. But it comes back to uh, first, just to give people a bit of history. If you go to my eagle-research.life website, uh, so eagle like the bird, then a hyphen mark, and then research.life instead of .com .life. You'll uh, you'll see about me, and so you'll see pictures of my uh, family's uh, ranch house, for example, and the little outhouse out back because we didn't have electricity, running water, indoor plumbing, you know, any of those things. We were so far out in the bush, we didn't even have radio. Like if you had a battery-operated radio, you wouldn't get any radio. So the uh, uh, I grew up on essentially horseback. I uh, we'd go out at four four thirty in the morning and uh, saddle up to bring the horses in. And what we did is we gave them grain every morning. So the ones, they always came and uh, the whole herd, and then we'd select the ones we wanted to ride that day and we'd saddle them up and then, and do whatever around the house chores. And then we would go out and do ranch chores and and stuff on, on horseback. So I kind of grew up that way. And the, uh, just, it was like living in the 1800s. If a person is uh, considering it uh, these days, my dad didn't like to start an engine. First of all, it used fuel, but uh, it, second of all, the longer you ran them, the more you had to uh, uh, maintain them. So he didn't like to start an engine if there was something we could do with horses or such. You know, like, <laughs> so I I learned, and this is this is why this is important. We had to fix everything ourselves. We were a day's drive from town. If there was an animal got sick, we had to be our own veterinarian. If there was anything woodworking, metalworking, anything that went wrong, we had to fix it ourselves. We had a pretty good shop. Uh, it was actually, <laughs> it was, it actually, the lathe was powered by a snowmobile engine, if you can believe that, belt drive and, and things like that. So we had, I, I learned young how to do welding. In fact, I could do some welding like cast iron to, to mild iron that I didn't know couldn't be done. I just did it because <laughs> I needed to do it. <laughs> so I, but I learned, but I'm lazy. It's very important to know about me. I'm, I'm very lazy. I don't like to do things twice. If you have to do it, do it right the first time, get it done and make sure it's done so you don't have to do it again. And so when something would break on the equipment or whatever, 
I would learn to fix it better than it was before. And I've, I've carried that right through my life, right to the products that we'll be talking about today. Mm. So the idea, first of all, make it so it, it doesn't break. And second of all, make it so that if it does break, it's easy to fix. Okay. So I grew up on the ranch. And then at a point, uh, my dad always said, because this is what his dad did, when you uh, graduate uh, high school, we give you a uh, hundred bucks and a kick in the ass. <laughs> okay, that's how I, that's my dad. So in any case, he, he literally did. He gave me a hundred bucks. I said, you don't have to swing your leg there, dad, I'm on my way. And so I and my old pickup truck, 1966 pickup truck, went tootling off around the continent, American continent. And I worked at various jobs and uh, and, and and worked my way around just exploring and traveling and uh, and as I did, I, I, I learned more and more, uh, every job I went to, I got, I'd get bored because once I learned how to do something, I'd get bored. This is very, also very important. I'm lazy and I get bored easily. Okay. So then we, <laughs> I, and I had lots of offers, uh, 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 to stay in various places because they liked my work ethic growing up on a ranch, you know, you worked, you worked or you didn't eat. It was pretty much exactly that. <laughs> so I, uh, I I made a lot of good friends and met a lot of my relatives and, as I traveled. And eventually I went back home uh, and went off to agriculture college because I decided, okay, I'll, I'll live on the ranch and work on the ranch. And then I got back from agriculture college and my father and I had a bit of a disagreement. It was his ranch, okay? But I had a whole bunch of new ideas I just learned about in, in college. So... I, I said, these are the kind of things that I'd like to do to make the ranch more productive and profitable and uh, easier to maintain and all these kind of things. And I was raising goats at the time as well, too. So <laughs> so the uh, him and I had to part ways because I couldn't I couldn't do things his way. Uh, and it was his place, you know, his home, his rules kind of thing. And so I went off with my father in law. And we uh, and we started a little farm of our own, raising goats and stuff, and did really well. And during that particular time, I decided to go to agriculture uh, to mechanic school. So I, because I was already working as a mechanic, and and I decided to do that. And I, it was the the college entrance exams. I have to tell you this because it's one of those. Uh, I, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just trying to get you to know me a little bit. Uh, I. I'm not very good with relationships, but I'm very good with equipment. And so I, uh, in the college entrance exams, they have something called a mechanical IQ test. And it it is takes five minutes to answer 20 um, multiple choice questions for four choices. And I, I did it in two and a half minutes, all questions correct. And it turns out that nobody had ever done that before at the college. No one had ever completed it in the five minutes or gotten them all correct. <laughs> so they, they couldn't measure my mechanical IQ. It just, and it wasn't like I studied, I did study physics and chemistry and biology and mathematics up to uh, pre-calculus and stuff when I was in high school, because anything less just bored me. I just had to, uh, I just had to take the more advanced courses or, and I liked going to school because when I was in school, I wasn't working on the ranch. <laughs> And I'm lazy. Okay. So I was going to ask you when you're, when is your birthday? Cause we are very similar, right? <laughs> right down to a lot of the details. November 12th. 
Okay, that makes sense. So I'm October 11th. We're not too far apart. Not too far apart. Yeah, you're all right. You're right on the cusp of uh, Scorpio and Sag. I'm a I'm a Libra. Oh, sorry, it's the other way around. I said, yeah, towards uh, October, not hmm. yeah, yeah, September, October, Libra. Yeah, but there, there's a certain thought in astrology that people display um, both the sign that traditionally is considered um, the what's the word tropical astrology and then you're also considered the sign previous to you so i would be a libra and a virgo you would most likely be a scorpio and a libra so there's a little bit of crossover not to get too far into astrology that's not quite the the aim of this conversation but yeah keep keep going don't let me cut you off yes no no worries i'm i'm enjoying this and i and i love meeting you as well it it's seldom that i can speak with somebody whose eyes don't just <laughs> go blank when yeah. i start talking yeah that is a problem i've had conversations with farmers about making their situation more efficient and yeah there's some blank stares and it was after learning about your work uh, a couple of years ago when i was doing this i was just a podcast listener didn't have my own podcast yet and uh, i remember suggesting your work to the dairy farmer who had hired me and they kind of just gave me a blank stare like but i didn't blame them because they were working so hard every day like they didn't they truly didn't have time to sit down and learn about your work it's just the lifestyle that they're in yes yes exactly in fact after i got out of uh, uh, agriculture school and i left the ranch I, i i applied for a job at a dairy and I was ignorant of how to apply for a job properly, okay? (laughs) In that, uh, as we walked around the dairy farm, I was talking to him about the various things, including his computer system and such. And (laughs) I frankly knew a lot more about his farm than he did, even though I'd never seen it before. Because first, (laughs) and and he said, I'm not going to hire you as a milker. He says, you're not going to be happy. And besides, I'd always be suggesting to him things that he didn't want to do either, just like I was doing with my father. So I had to pretty much go off on my own. Made to be an uh, entrepreneur, it seems. And and that kind of worked out because as a branch, as a farmer rancher, you are an entrepreneur. Case closed. That just you're you're working for yourself. In fact, it's one of the only professions where you can be outstanding in your field. <laughs> okay. I got to get the sound effect afterwards. Farmer, farmer joke there. Okay. <laughs> so the, uh, uh, when I left the ranch, I, I pretty much knew that uh, I wanted to make money because at that time I hadn't even ever had a girlfriend. You, when you, when you are so far out in the bush and your and your best friend is nine miles away on another ranch and stuff, I, I had no social skills to speak of or anything. And I, so I didn't have a girlfriend ever. Uh, and I, and I wanted to have a girlfriend at some point. So I kind of thought in my head, you know, uh, girls like money. Now, I, I've learned since that that was kind of a misconception, but that's that's what was happening when I was a young boy. I, I could see there were people who weren't very handsome who had really pretty girls on their arms. And I was thinking, but they had money, right? So I was thinking, okay, that's one way to attract a, a, a woman. So I decided I could either be a prospector or an inventor. And prospecting was a lot of hard work. I did try it. I did try it. I dug a lot of holes and I did find gold and, and things like that, but not a lot. And it was a lot of work. And did I mention I'm lazy? So I kind of went back to the inventing side. 
And it turns out that because I didn't know what I couldn't do, my 1966 Ford pickup truck was getting approximately 35 to 40 miles to the gallon. F-150. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that couldn't be done. I, I just I just worked on the truck and there's a whole story about how I got the truck and and and, uh, and how it got worked out and stuff. But that could be for another day. In any case, the truck was getting really high mileage and I didn't know that it was exceptional until for some reason it came up and people were disbelieving me. So uh, I, I decided, OK, I can be uh, an inventor. And the first thing I, I developed was something called a carburetor enhancer. And a carburetor enhancer, you could now with, there aren't carburetors really anymore, although I'm still selling a few of those things. That's that's pretty amazing. But an hour hood up to hood down and virtually all the vehicles got a minimum of 25 percent gain in their fuel economy. And that was just by putting this one. Um, I'm going to call it a device. It was more like a system on the carburetor to make it more efficient and done. It was you set it, leave it, didn't have to worry about it anymore. Your vehicle had more power, used less fuel less pollution, all those kind of things. It was it was beautiful. And that's how I started my inventing business. And that's how I financed my way through uh, mechanics school. Now, <laughs> that was a funny thing, too, because when I went to mechanics school, I'd already been working essentially as a mechanic for years. So I went through it as a self-paced course. I went through it uh, three times faster than any of the other students. And I essentially became a teacher's assistant. So I was helping the instructor. And during the course, I would read the course literature and I would answer the questions when I take the tests. And if I got less than 96%, I would go to the instructor and ask him about the questions that I'd gotten wrong in quotation marks. And in six different cases, I convinced the instructor that my, my answer was more correct than the book, than the course was teaching. How many, how many students can say that? Yeah, so you he must have been a course. favorite student, all right. <laughs> I was, I, he, he liked me. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> So in any case, uh, and and I did things like uh, I was coming in uh, at that time. I had an international pickup truck, and uh, for some reason the fuel pump failed on the way into college. So I, I had a gas can in the back and a hose, and I just hooked up the gas can to gravity feed to the carburetor. And with the hood off, I took the hood off. I, I travel with tools, obviously. I took the hood off, and and I had a gas can strapped to my fender. And this is how I drove into the school. <laughs> so it was things like that that caused him to, uh, to to like me. I could I could just kind of fix things because you had to You're on the ranch. You just had to fix it because there was nobody to do it for you. So in any case, I became an inventor. The carburetor enhancer launched my business. I I didn't make a lot of money at first, but it was enough to support my then small family and uh, getting uh, off the ground. And as since I was in the fuel saver business, I eventually started uh, uh, looking into other ways of, uh, of saving fuel, quite a few different ways of saving fuel. And one of them happened to be something called Brown's gas. Now with Brown's gas, I heard about it when people were using it as a torch at first. So they, they split water into hydrogen and oxygen in an electrolyzer. And then that gas would replace acetylene in a torch for doing things like cutting and welding and and what have you. So uh, I heard it could weld plastic to titanium. And I and as an inventor, I tried to learn as many of these kind of skills as possible because I'm building things that aren't on the shelf, right? You can't just go and buy it because yeah, I'm building it. 
And I thought that would be a neat thing to be able to do. Well, it turns out that was a myth. It, it cannot. There were a lot of myths floating around about Brown's gas, and there still are a few. But I've done, I've spent 30 years dispelling a lot of them. So, and my website, uh, eagle-research.com, actually has a section about uh, myth conception. So people can see the kind of stuff that was going on about there. Anyway, uh, they quoted me I mean, for the Brown's gas machine, uh, $300,000 for one that could do a torch. Now, I don't know why they quoted so many zeros before the decimal point, uh, because there's no way that machine cost that amount of money. And when they actually started selling the machine they quoted me on, it was more like um, $2,500. So obviously not uh, not correct. But in any case, that's what they quoted me. Now, maybe they were trying to finance their research at the time, or they, they saw me coming, or whatever the case. But that was out of my budget. I wasn't going to be paying that much money for that anyway. But as an inventor, I decided, and I knew electrolysis and, and the, the theory, and I just gathered all the information I could about Brown's gas and started doing some experiments and wrote the Brown's gas book one. And from what I learned there, it introduced, it opened a lot of doors and an angel investor came in from a mine site. So I went out and worked on his mine site. He gave me a great big shop to work in and paid my expenses. And I worked uh, for almost three years, uh, uh, almost 16 hours a day because he, he put me up in a, in a trailer with, uh, with a cleaning lady and, and they had cooks at the, uh, at the cafeteria and stuff. So I didn't have to cook food. I didn't have to wash my laundry or clean my house or anything. All I had to do was work. It was, it was fun. It was, it was great. So then it ended up, there was uh, three guys. He ended up uh, giving me for assistance as well, paid for them as well. So I got a lot of experimenting done with Brown's gas and, and building these larger machines and eventually started to sell these machines for about $3,000 each. So the, the Brown's gas, what I call the water torches were doing really well. Which brings me to, uh, in 1996, and at that point, I wrote the Brown's Gas Book 2. So anybody can buy the Brown's Gas Book 2 and build a Brown's Gas electrolyzer in their home. The Brown's Gas Book 2 is designed so they can build your own Brown's Gas machine. And it's it's uh, priced at about uh, $500 plus a dollar per liter that you want to produce. So if you want a thousand liter machine, it would cost parts and labor if you're doing it yourself. Uh, about $1,500 to build your own thousand liter machine. Okay. So uh, <laughs> I was doing fairly well in all of that. And for some reason, one of the uh, uh, customers that had bought a water torch decided to bubble the gas through water and drink the water, but also to put it on a melanoma on his forehead. So somehow he figured out that or just thought that Brown's gas might enhance water. Uh, and and then that he put that enhanced water on it, on a melanoma. And in three weeks time, that melanoma was gone. Bare, it just, the skin had healed. And he told me about this. And I didn't believe him. Okay. <laughs> I didn't say to his face, I didn't believe him, but I didn't believe him. And he didn't have pictures or anything to prove it, but he told me what had happened. And so I put out to my several thousand email list at that particular time back in 96 uh, that this was a potential use for Brown's gas where you could bubble it in water and use it for health purposes. Now, I didn't do that myself. I, 
I just put it out as a potential use, but a lot of other people did. They had the uh, uh, Brown's gas machines and they had some ER uh, or some Hyzor systems. Now that was Brown's gas that I developed for vehicles using Brown's gas as a fuel saver. That, like I said, I was in the fuel saver business. And so I, I also applied the Brown's gas to my engine for, for uh, combustion enhancement. And I had to write about that time because everything was switching over from carbureted to fuel injection. And the Brown's gas electrolyzer was something that could be used on both platforms. So the Hyzor uh, uh, systems uh, made my business be able to continue where the carburetor enhancer, for example, was fading out and a couple of the other uh, fuel saver systems. So in any case, um, the people had these various Brown's gas machines and they started bubbling in water and drinking the water and testimonials started flowing in for various things that, that were good uh, related. And a chiropractor by the name of Lloyd Jacob came up or called me and said, can I come up? Because he knew that Brown's gas had oxygen in it, oxygen and hydrogen, but oxygen therapies is what he was working on. So he thought the Brown's gas would work well in his oxygen therapies. So he came up and he did some experiments and it worked out really, really well. Uh, so he he went back uh, to Spokane, Washington and had a person build a Brown's gas machine from my Brown's gas book too. And for about a year or so, he was helping his chiropractic treatments, or doing chiropractic treatments with the Brown's gas, using the Brown's gas on the skin to uh, uh, make muscle knots uh, when, when you have spasms and muscles cramped and stuff. It just smoothed it right out. So then he could adjust people really easily without pain. In fact, he was able then to adjust his wife, which he had never been able to adjust. He was a chiropractor. He worked as a chiropractor and he'd never been able to adjust his own wife. But after the Brown's gas treatment, he could. To the point where one of the, uh, uh, sorry, his, his machine broke down. But the guy who had built it had moved away at that point. So he suddenly didn't have Brown's gas in his, in his practice anymore. And his clients, his clients told him, virtually all of them, if we can't have a Brown's gas treatment at the same time as the adjustment, we're not coming in. <laughs> Fix your machine, we'll be back. So he was essentially out of business because of the Brown's gas machine breaking down. So he called me up on the phone, desperate. And by that time, I was building the uh, uh, ER 1150s and and uh, ER 1200s. And the uh, and he bought he he drove right up to my place and bought a new one and drove back. And so he was back in business. And then about every uh, year, he'd send the machine back to me for cleaning, and I clean sludge out of it. And the sludge is really important. The sludge is coming out of the Brown's gas machines. Uh, hopefully I'll remember to, uh, when we, when we come back to that. So anyway, he, he continued for many years, uh, doing the chiropractic and, and, uh, and Brown's gas for health. So these are the kind of things that were telling me that Brown's gas was good for health. Now, here's a point where I, I usually say, uh, I have a little blurb that I, I like to say, the world is currently in turmoil. There's health issues. Fuel prices are rising and food shortages are on the horizon. What if there was a technology that helped people seldom get sick, helped the body heal three times faster, saved up to 50% on fuel, you could make your own fuel, and help plants grow up to 10 times faster? What if there was a technology that could do that? And that's what we're talking about today with the Browns guest. Yes, yes. My family thinks I'm crazy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
Wonderful. Jeez, you really know how to put a tagline on it. I think that's how we're going to start the show. I'll do some editing magic so all of it makes its way in. But wow, George, this is a fantastic start to what I hope is an even more fantastic discussion. I've heard a lot of that. And like I said, there are other podcasts who you, you've been on, you've shared your story uh, in different depths and, and different pieces of it have come out. So I've heard a lot of what you just shared uh, which is weird, you know, because we just met and I already know stuff about you, but that's podcasting, I guess. I want to focus on the point when you said you wanted to be a prospector, because I feel like that connects to what you were doing that kind of really put you in your role as an inventor. The fuel efficiency stuff we'll get to, I want to talk about that, but I'm very interested in the hydrogen as a, a use, you had this angel investor who hired you to help him refine minerals and ores. And, and as a prospector, you know, you're dealing with minerals and ores. I wonder if those two worlds were sort of at play synchronistically as you, as you, you know, ventured into inventing. Absolutely. That was a, that's a really good, uh, uh, place to uh, explore that hasn't been on some of the other podcasts. Yes, um, I, I was a prospector for a few years and I, I found some pretty amazing things, usually on somebody else's claim, which uh, that wasn't any good for me, but it was nice experience. And, and I took prospecting courses. I didn't just uh, learn it from prospectors, although I talked to old prospectors and there's there's prospectors that, and and this is important, have discovered, for example, there were certain creeks that generate gold every year. There is no mother load that is rocks breaking off and the gold falling in the creek and going down the creek. There, there isn't any mother load. The, the gold is transmuted. It actually appears in the creek. And there's uh, uh, reasons for that having to do with what's called primary water and uh, various um, uh, minerals. Uh, that are in the creek, and as the water flows over these minerals in a certain combination, you end up with gold transmutation. Okay, uh, these are the kind of theories that these uh, prospectors have when they can't explain anything else. But there's, it turns out there's a lot of truth to that. There's some evidence to back that up. For example, when you cook a copper ore, like this angel investor, he had uh, a copper ore, and when you cook this copper ore with the Brown's gas you end up with two times more copper than, than originally assayed in the ore. So the same weight of ore, twice the copper. And I think of it like this. Everything to make the copper was already in the rocks. And as the earth was formed or whatever it was forming in that portion of the earth's crust, uh, it got partially cooked, like a cake, partially cooked, but it didn't completely cook. And the Brown's gas adds the energy and this, uh, what I call electrically expanded water and the, uh, all the, I, I was about to say nutrients, but, but uh, the energies, it, it allows the cooking to complete. And the, and so you end up with more actual metal out of the same amount of ore that you would have otherwise got. Is it, is it fair to say, and keep in mind, I'm an armchair researcher. Yeah. Okay. Is it fair to say that the Brown's gas is expressing maybe the crystalline potential that's within those minerals themselves, sort of refining them like that and, and bringing out the best of, of that or whatever it is in that moment? Is that fair to say? 
there's actually three or four things happening, and that is one of them. Another experiment, for example, was done by uh, uh, Joseph Bender and Norman Wooten of Rainfresh down in the South Midwest. And so Rainfresh was experimenting with the with the browns gas. And what you do is you uh, you burn the browns gas and you collect the water, the water, the steam from the browns gas flame. Okay, so you had oxygen and hydrogen in the browns gas, and then when you burn it, it combines back into water, and that is new water, and also can be called primary water. It's very important to to uh, to, to understand this new or primary water. I'm talking to some other people who are experts in primary water, where worth it, water is actually created in the earth, and then comes up uh, as new water. Okay. Is this is this similar? I've heard other people discuss a fourth state of water. Is that what we're talking about here? No, that'll that'll be That's different. different. Uh, but but definitely keep put a pin in that. We'll be okay. back to that. It's really important. Okay, so that the new water uh, that they had collected and they put in a jug. And unfortunately, I do have them in the shop here, but I but I don't have them right here. I could show you the bottles. Joseph Bender gave them to me. So we had a bottle that he put the new water in, and it used to be a bottle that had, it, back in the day, they had these uh, mineral uh, drinks where you could uh, pour like an ounce of uh, 50 different minerals solution in and drink that so you get your uh, minerals for your vitamins and minerals. And so he, it was an empty jar, and he put the new water in that. And then beside it, he had one of the full jars because he was doing his mineral supplements. So this was a, an accidental experiment. Okay, but he was paying attention and he and and he noticed that the new water started forming a sediment in it. And there was nothing in that bottle but oxygen and hydrogen. Okay, there was there was no minerals or anything in there. But eventually it ended up being 10 ounces, 10 ounces of sediment formed in that new water. Now that it so happened that the uh, the bottles were arranged in such a way that the sunlight was shining through the window through the 50 element bottle that was full into the uh, uh, bottle uh, with the new water in it. So I think it was imprinting. The sunlight was pr also providing energy and it was imprinting on the new water. Whatever it is, the frequencies the, of the, uh, or signatures of some sort of those 50 minerals. And when they tested that sediment that formed in the new water, every one of those 50 minerals was in that sediment. So transmutation, there's several different ways of, that, that happens with the transmutation, especially when you're dealing with the uh, browns gas and the new water. And so, so getting back to the ore and the prospecting. So I did some prospecting, I understood, uh, and I worked in a couple of mines. I worked in a copper mine, I worked in a coal mine uh, in lots of different jobs, again, like uh, in the mines. Like I said, I was I get bored easily, so I'd go around. I was various equipment operators and heavy duty equipment operator and, and the stationary uh, processing operators and, and one of those great big ore truck uh, drivers. And I, was just, I, I worked on the blasting crew. That was a blast. Okay. It, 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 I, I got a blasting certific certification while I was there. So I knew how to handle explosions and, and uh, various things like that. So the uh, I, I understood mines and mining. And when this investor got a hold of me because, uh, again, it was Norman Wooten, interestingly enough, who was working at the mine, but he had to he had to leave. So he, he recommended me as the person who had written the first book on Brown's Gas as a, to have the mine owner 
uh, get a hold of me and ask if I'd come and take his place and continue the research that he were doing there because they they were wanting to uh, cook the ore that they were making in this mine with the Browns gas and see what would happen. And lots of good things happened, as you already heard. So as I was as I was there and and doing these unique things, I'd, I'd put on every weekend what I call a dog and pony show where he would bring potential investors, investors in the mine to uh, around. And as he was showing them the mine site and the processing plants and the mine shafts and everything, he'd bring them to my little workshop and I'd put on a little show showing what Brown's gas could do as well. So it was a lot of fun doing that. So that, that was kind of where we, and eventually the, um, I got married again because my first wife threw me back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that didn't work out. And I'm sorry for that. But in any case, I got married again. So I moved off the mine site and, and that pretty much stopped the uh, research again that was there. So the, um, uh, that, that I, I, I learned a lot when we were on the mine, but, and that was the angel investor. And at that point I'd written the Brown's gas book too. And we, and we'd made the uh, first water torches and then I moved essentially away from the mine and and went off on business on my own. So at this particular point, though, uh, Brown's Gas for Health continued to be uh, a developing thing, which was kind of in the background, but but became a primary thing uh, a little bit later. Now, <clears throat> so oh by the way, I'm uh, I'm inhaling the Brown's Gas right now with the cannulas. That's that's why I have the cannulas on my face. I when I'm sitting at the computer, I I like to do the. Uh, uh, Brown's gas. So anytime I'm just kind of sitting in one location. Okay. So I do Brown's gas a minimum of four hours a day and up to eight hours a day. Okay. So. Well, for comparison, audience, I am inhaling cannabis and tobacco rolled into a smoke <laughs> and smoking. So maybe the opposite ends of the spectrum, but we'll get into the health benefits yes. of, of yes. Brown's yes. gas yes. later yeah. on. So I, my question, my thought that hit me was, you know, we as human beings, we're comprised of many different things, our skeletal system, our teeth, our minerals. And I find that the dental health industry is a shady industry and I don't want to put any shade on anybody, disrespect anyone. There's a lot of hard workers out there, but my experience with the dental health industry has not been a good one until I started taking a holistic approach to the way I treated my oral health. And since then, I've reversed a lot of the effects that I was having, pain and a different dry mouth and other things like that. Now, I'm wondering, have you seen those benefits from people using Brown's gas because of the way hydrogen, you know, plays with minerals? There is. <clears throat> that's a really good question. And it's difficult to have a good answer that is... Uh, like in allopathic medicine, they like to have a nice clear answer for something. But in in this particular case, uh, the Brown's gas is nutrition, literally nutrition. Uh, our bodies are comprised, and, and I will get back to your question. I just have to do, fill in a little bit of background first. Um, our bodies are comprised of 67% hydrogen, 24% oxygen, 12% carbon, and 2% everything else including our minerals that you're just talking about. So hydrogen is our most important macronutrient, and it's totally ignored by the allopathic nutritional system, food pyramid, all those kind of things. Well, and it's amazing. We get into where we get our hydrogen from and stuff, 
Well, when you think later. about the word hydrocarbon, I mean, that's what these foods are, are made of, and they just talk about the carbon side of it. Nobody ever mentions the hydro side of it. That, that's exactly right, actually. Uh, so <clears throat> what happens is when your body gets its correct nutrition, and this is the answer to your question, and it, and it answers a lot of similar questions. When your body gets the correct nutrition, it knows what to do with it. And so if there's something uh, wrong in your, okay, so we'll go back a little bit and say, first of all, if you don't have enough hydrogen, your body starts shutting down things that are not immediately life-threatening. So your regeneration systems generally are the first thing to get shut off. So if you get a, a cut, you'll scar, for example. It won't heal the skin, they'll just patch it. And then your immune systems start shutting off. So you get sick a lot easier. And then if you still don't have enough hydrogen, then your organs start to fail and you die. So when you start getting enough hydrogen, usually what'll happen is your organs will start to heal. Your immune system comes back online. Like my organs, for example, my, my eyes have the same eyesight as I did when I was nine years old. I don't wear glasses anymore. I, I do. I am nearsighted, so there. I, I do have to wear glasses if I want to see things far away. And uh, but generally, for just everything I do normally, I don't wear glasses anymore. The um, and my heart. I for fifty years I had a heart murmur, and uh, it was uh, three years ago or something. I'd been inhaling Brown's gas for about a year at that point. The um, since March of twenty sixteen, so somewhere around March of twenty seventeen, I had the. Uh, 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 full physical done. And I told my doctor, he was a new doctor, he was doing a full physical, um, that I had a heart murmur. And he said, no, you don't. <laughs> For 50 years, I had a heart murmur. And then now I don't. So anyway, the organs heal. Uh, and the skin is the largest organ on the body. I had neuropathies on my on the fronts of my legs, and on the palm of my left hand, it would get a burning sensation, and then it would go numb and a burning sensation, kind of like a rainbow it was just going and my and it reached almost to my fingers where I couldn't feel the palm of my left hand. And I felt as I was inhaling over the weeks, I was getting the feeling back in my hand again. And about the time that I got all the feeling back in my hand, I, and by the way, I, I had arthritis as well. And, and so I had limited movement and pain. I have full movement, full strength, and no pain in my hands. But I also got the feeling back in my hands uh, from the neuropathy and it turned and then I suddenly realized I had the feeling back in the fronts of my legs as well. I it totally had healed the neuropathy. And about that particular time, I realized that I my scars were gone. I had a uh, about a half inch square scar here. I I was using a regular socket on an air wrench and, and uh, it shouldn't do that. <laughs> anyway, it flew off and hit me in the head and luckily it didn't kill me. But in any case, the... Um, I had I had scars all over my body. I no longer have scars all over my body. So my organs healed. I I haven't been sick since uh, 2005 when I started drinking the Brown's gas water. So my immune systems got better. And interestingly enough, I had hand warts and a planter's wart on my foot. So warts on my hand and the planter's wart, those all disappeared as well. So my immune system got strong enough to get rid of viruses because warts are a virus that I'd had for 50 years since I was a child. And so my organs healed, my, my immune system got better and my body's regeneration system came back on. So now to answer your question, it depends on what's wrong with the person's body. When you start to inhale the, the Brown's gas, 
it's going to, uh, your body knows what to do. No doctor can heal you. They think they're gods, some of them, and they think that they heal those people. The good doctors know that the best they can do is put your body in a state where it can heal itself because your body always heals itself. Your body knows what to do. So there's no issue whatsoever. <clears throat> uh, so when you get the nutrition you need, then your body starts to move minerals around uh, um, because the brown's gas uh, also isn't just the nutrition of the hydrogen. It also has the energy of the electrically expanded water. So now I'll jump over into what brown's gas is and answer your question about the fourth uh, phase of water. So brown's gas is the entire mixture of gases generated from an electrolyzer that splits water and does not separate the gases. So a normal Faraday electrolyzer has a membrane in the middle that separates the hydrogen from the oxygen. And this is what I learned in science class in, in uh, school. And so you'd have the hydrogen coming out one hose and the oxygen coming out the other. Brown's gas electrolyzers don't have a membrane in the middle. They're still making the hydrogen and oxygen, but it's all coming out one hose. William Rhodes, who had the original uh, patents in the early 60s on what we now call Brown's gas, uh, called it a single ducted gas for that reason. But he didn't know there was a third gas generated in the middle, in between. And I, I have pictures uh, on the, you should be able to find them on the website and stuff, but I can send them if necessary. But it shows another line of gas coming out of the middle of the fluid. I, I discovered this in 96. And uh, I, I called that electrically expanded water. Well, it turns out that that is actually the fourth phase of water because there's four phases of matter. You have your, in water, we call it a solid ice, the liquid we call water, the gaseous form, the gaseous form we call water vapor or steam. And then the plasma form is the fourth state of matter because you have solid, liquid, gas, and plasma. And a plasma is an electron-rich gas. or It's an ionized gas. It can be either electron-rich or electron-deficient, but it's a, uh, an ionized gas. That's a plasma. Okay, so the actual fourth phase of water or state of matter uh, for water is the electrically expanded water because it's water that has soaked up electricity, electrons. So it's negatively charged because electrons are negatively charged. It's a negatively charged gaseous form of water that is not water vapor or steam. If you cool the gas, cool the mixture, this gas will not condense. It's not water vapor or steam. It won't, it doesn't have a dew point. It won't condense. You could of course cool it down enough like any other gas and liquefy it that way, but at hundreds of degrees, degrees below zero. But this is, it's, a, it's an ionized gas that is not water vapor or steam. And so this gas comes out with those other two gases, the oxygen and the, and the hydrogen, and, and becomes part of what we call Brown's gas. You can't make Brown's gas by taking bottled hydrogen and bottled oxygen and mixing the two gases at a stoichiometric ratio of two hydrogens to one oxygen. That'll, that is just called what I call oxyhydrogen. It's not Brown's gas. Brown's gas also has this electrically expanded water in it. And when that electrically expanded water goes into your body by inhalation, or if you're drinking the water with the, with the Brown's gas in it, the, um, that energy, your body is immediately bioavailable. Those electrons, they, they, they stop oxidative cascade. 
they uh, provide energy to the cells because one of the things that happens when people are ill is they've usually used up their energy system, uh, energy storage or their excess energy has been used and their energy generation systems are often compromised. So the Brown's gas is turning out to be about 30% more therapeutically effective than the hydrogen, than, than just straight hydrogen. Hydrogen is good. Just straight hydrogen is a nutrition that people should be getting at least that. But if you're using the Brown's gas with this electrically expanded water, you end up with about a 30% more efficacious, uh, it wounds heal 30% uh, faster, for example, than if you're just using the straight hydrogen. Okay, so uh, to, to answer your question, finally, uh, what happens is individual. It really depends on the individual body, what happens when you start inhaling the Brown's gas. A story that I like to tell is that when I first inhaled Brown's gas for 15 minutes at, uh, at about 6.30 in the evening, and I, and I videoed myself when I did this, okay? Long story, but I, I figured if I, if I was going to be an idiot and inhale the Brown's gas, at least I'd have a video record of my idiocy if something went wrong. Okay, so, and that video is still on my YouTube channel. So people can go and look at it and see what I looked like then, okay, in March of 2016, and what I look like now on this video. And you will see that I my biological age uh, has reversed. I, I now look like I did almost 20 years ago. So the, uh, in fact, the I, I have pictures of, of me 20 years ago and you really can't tell the difference of, of the difference. So I, uh, I inhaled that night and I didn't sleep that night, which was very disconcerting to me because I'm the kind of guy that can fall asleep virtually anywhere, <laughs> like on the couch watching TV, uh, against a rock. Well, when I when I grew up and you you go to sleep on a mountainside, you didn't roll over because you just roll down the mountain, right? So you you learn to just fall asleep and stay in one position. And I usually wake up a little bit to turn over. Even now in a bed, I I wake up so I don't. Uh, it's just childhood training. So in any case, I didn't sleep that night. I was wide awake, alert all night. I had my eyes closed. I was thinking I was going to fall asleep any minute, but all night long I didn't fall asleep. So I started inhaling in the morning to uh, to so by evening I would I would be able to fall asleep normally, and uh, and that worked until my body got used to the hydrogen and at that point I can inhale it all day even all night and it and even though it makes my mind alert it doesn't uh, prevent me from falling asleep. Okay, so getting back to my current wife, when she first inhaled it was again coincidentally about fifteen minutes about six thirty at night, and she had the best night's sleep she could remember. So it was exactly the opposite. And it's, that's why I'm saying we can't really determine what's going to happen when people start drinking or, uh, or inhaling the gas. But whatever it is, the body knows. The body knows how to heal. Well, so that was a long so many... explanation to answer your short question. No, I appreciate the length and, and that's what we're here for. So no, no need to apologize. I think there are so many different variables that create a human being wherever they are in that moment that the hydrogen the browns gas does the magic that it does so yeah that's that's the trick with holistic medicine i see that more often than not with uh with different herbal supplements and i do want to ask you about 
being able to use Brown's gas to water your plants, if there's any benefit there, have you explored that avenue? But first, maybe we can just talk about our atmosphere in general and maybe some misconceptions. Again, we already laid it out that these, you know, hydrogen, hydrogen is available in your food. It's not in the atmosphere. You're not breathing it in. But there are so many factors that go into again, a human being, where they live. And then also you mentioned this person uh, who originally had the patent. They weren't aware of this, you know, effect. And to me, when I hear that, my immediate assumption is maybe they just aren't thinking in terms of an electric universe. We're given this vacuum model of our universe and it's really like a, a, a there's a missing part of that which is electricity and i i feel like brown's gas takes that into account and basically you have to understand the electric nature of this to understand what's going on that's absolutely correct um and unfortunately william rhodes uh was literally a, I, I say unfortunately you'll see why in a second literally a rocket scientist up until in, he died in, at 96, he was still consulting with NASA. Then he had over 100 patents to his name. So he was a very smart man. But unfortunately, smart people, uh, myself included, when I am smart, usually I'm, I feel pretty stupid, but because I'm wrong most of the time. That's one, one side effect of being an inventor. You're well, wrong 99% of the time. You're going to have to get really used to being wrong. <laughs> I'm so glad you say that because that is a big frustration for people, especially doing what I do where, you know, folks listen to the show, they get encouraged, they want to start their own show. Stick with it. You're not going to, you know, figure it out overnight. It takes a lot of failure to create something valuable. And that's just goes for everything. Yes. So in any case, he didn't think of the uh, of the health aspect of this gas because being a rocket scientist, he was used to hydrogen and oxygen being rocket fuel. Right? Well, and also <laughs> the the military focus of you know where the money is interested in, and also you know I've done an episode before with a friend named Dave Zed from Generation Z podcast about hydrogen. We did a whole episode about hydrogen, and we focused mostly on the military applications of it because of the H bomb and. I wonder if that fits into this conversation somehow. But, but. A, a little bit. It, it would be a side thing. And in fact, I had uh, a, at the military called me in. Uh, it was a uh, for a consultation, and it was about search and rescue, where where they they explore different options like torches uh, to be able to get people out of bad situations fast. You have a tank that's burning and it's going to explode. You got to get the people out. Uh, for example, for some reason the hatch is is. Uh, uh, jam shut let's say right. okay so you've got to cut people out of a submarine or like the jaws of life they were... technology that they use the firefighters use that kind of concept so they wanted to see if the browns gas could be used in a situation like that and it turns out it, it there is a possibility that it could because it can it can cut through things that uh, regular torch can't uh but there was a a nice uh not kill you dead uh, application for browns gas in the military it was just one of those things that I usually forget to mention, but in any case, getting back to William Rhodes, uh, he had all these patents. I do the opposite. I don't patent anything. I'm I'm an inventor that literally writes books and teaches people how to do it. And that that essentially, first of all, 
I'm a real do-it-yourselfer kind of a guy, as you can imagine, growing up on the ranch and all of that. So when I invented the carburetor enhancer, a lot of people got interested in it. And one of them was one of these late night television shows that back in the day where they, they were selling various things uh, and, and wait, there's more and all this. Anyway, one of these shows got a hold of the carburetor enhancer, got a hold of me to explore the carburetor enhancer because they, at that time there was a lot of uh, fuel saving, uh, fuel costs, it, they usually spike and there was a lot of interest in that. Anyway, when they saw how simple it was and if people could go and spend $15 in a hardware store and get all the parts that they needed, to, uh, to do this thing themselves, they said, ah, we're not interested because there was no control. People could bypass them. And I thought to myself, you know what? I have, I'm booked six months in advance with people uh, coming into my shop and, and getting these carburetor enhancers involved. I work all day long doing it and I'm only doing a few hundred. I need to get this out to a lot more people. So I wrote a book, an instruction manual called the Carburetor Enhancer Manual. And at first it was only four pages. It ended up being 30 pages as people uh, asked me questions and I answered them and made the book bigger. But in any case, the Carburetor Enhancer Manual was then born and then I sold a kit that went with it for $15. <laughs> and it now costs, I think, 30 something dollars because the price of copper has gone much more expensive. But in any case, the uh, I, I sold this book and that's how I got it started in the mail order business. And from that point on, I didn't patent because I learned, I, I went to, for example, the patent office and in order to, because I was doing research in fuel savers and I had several fuel savers, I wanted to see if they'd been patented already. So maybe I would patent them. And I discovered at that point back to 1976, because that's as far back as they'd gone uh, getting them on, in the computer at that point, they were taking the files and putting them in computers. And the um, I found 5,000 fuel saver patents, over 5,000 fuel saver patents in the patent office, only going back to 1976. Not one on the market, not one. So I decided, you know what? I'm just gonna bypass all that. I'm gonna sell the book and teach people how to do it themselves. And some people actually made businesses out of it. I know people that had five and six figure incomes uh, making the, 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 just like I was doing in my own shop, installing the carburetor enhancers. And one guy drove up in his RV to my shop uh, shook my hand and he says, see that RV? I made that, I bought that So I, in my own hometown. It wasn't too far from me. It was only like four or five hours drive. The, uh, he, he got a shop, he hired two mechanics. He was, he was working them steady, uh, installing his carburetor enhancers. He made enough money to buy the RV and retire. So he, he was going off in his RV, retired. It wasn't a vacation. He was retired. Wow. <laughs> That's he incredible. My he probably saved a lot of money on that RV's gas tank, huh? Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. Even the RV I have right here, I doubled the mileage on it. Wow. So the um, the and I don't even have all my fuel savers on it. I, again, it, it's a lack of time thing. But he made enough money to retire. I made four dollars. <laughs> yeah. But I make four dollars on thousands, and I figure there's at least. 200,000 carburetor enhancers out there where I've helped people save a minimum of 25% on their fuel economy. So that was just with the one particular project. Now, I carried that concept forward as I developed each of my fuel savers. I would make a book telling people how to do it, make a kit if they wanted to buy the kit, and continue on like that. So right now, we have the uh, AquaCure machine. 
and following through on that same kind of a concept. Uh, what I'm doing is I'm making a course to teach people how to build the AquaCare machines themselves. And the uh, and uh, my first student already took the course and has already got a six-figure income. So it, this is a good way to help people be healthy at the same time as making an essential business because this is a, a for health business and therefore you don't have to shut down when all the mandates come. As a, a driving person, I was a delivery guy for a long time. I'm sure uh, if I got my uh, old boss from the bakery in on this conversation, he would have a lot of questions for you. When it comes to health, what are some of the misconceptions you, you discussed earlier people may be thinking that hydrogen is toxic possibly you know can we dispel some of that so people understand what's actually going on as you said already this is a, a macronutrient yeah um hydrogen itself like it, there's a thing out there it's not so much anymore but when i was first doing hydrogen uh called a hindenburg syndrome mm. people were thinking hydrogen was dangerous because it was potentially explosive and and it is right? not necessarily so dangerous, but definitely potentially explosive. So when I design our, my, my machines, I design safety, safe, absolutely everything is safe first, then uh, practical second. So the ac actual practical applications on how to do things, but safety first. <clears throat> and there's two things you need to have to be safe with the uh, AquaCure machine, for example, the AquaCure. Uh, the first is to make sure you don't have a hydrogen mixture that is greater than 4.7% in air, because anything greater, hydrogen percentage greater than that is potentially explosive. Now, if you fill a balloon with Brown's gas, that is a stoichiometric um, mixture of hydrogen oxygen gas, which means it's the most perfect explosive mixture. And and I and I have loved uh, filling balloons and then setting them off and they make a very loud, uh, it's not a pop, it's a bang. But uh, that also explains, for example, in the Hindenburg, when it went down, it, uh, it was mostly hydrogen in its bladders. So the hydrogen couldn't burn until it was in contact with air. So you had all the hydrogen flames and hydrogen flames go upward. So the people in the gondola below were actually protected from these massive flames that were, that were going up, but it didn't explode. It only burned because the hydrogen had to escape the bladders into the air and then start on fire. So the, the blimp uh, uh, dirigible uh, uh, settled to the ground and virtually everyone who waited until the gondola was close enough to the ground to jump survived. The people that died, I think it was 50 or 60 of out of 200, um, jumped. They jumped and went splat and couldn't run and died. So. In any case, it was a it was a terrible terrible uh, event. Uh, some people think it was sabotage. Some people think it was uh, static electricity. Who knows? I'm I'm kind of up in the air. It could be 50-50, either one. But I'm a I'm a big time conspiracy theorist. Okay, I'm I'm lazy and I'm a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I'm wrong most of the time. Okay, so in any case, hydrogen itself is 100% non toxic. It doesn't kill anything. I get people saying, uh, can we use it as a disinfectant, that kind of thing. No, it doesn't. It's totally nutritious. It doesn't, and it's non-toxic. Uh, so right now we're inhaling a nitrogen oxygen mixture. 
79% of what we're inhaling is nitrogen and approximately 21, 20, a little over 21% is, uh, is oxygen. There's some other miscellaneous gases, uh, but mostly a nitrogen oxygen mixture. And what we're doing is replacing a small portion of that, less than 4%, with an oxygen-hydrogen mixture. So hydrogen-oxygen mixture instead of a nitrogen-oxygen mixture. And so the Brown's gas is very similar to the air that we're inhaling. The only difference is we replace the nitrogen, which is also an inert gas, with the hydrogen. Okay. Now, the uh, so the hydrogen itself is non-toxic. The only dangerous part of it is uh, the, the potential explosiveness. And that is why I, I didn't recommend inhaling it at first. So just a quick little uh, rebrief. I heard about Brown's Gas for Health by bubbling in water in 1996. I put it out there for people to uh, experiment with if they wished, and they got testimonials back with me. And, they, and uh, it took me until 2005, nine years before I bubbled it in water and drank it myself. And then from 2005 to 2007, I didn't get sick. I used to get sick three times a winter. Like clockwork, I could depend on it, spend a whole bunch of money on Kleenex and drugs and stuff to uh, mitigate symptoms. I didn't get sick. I thought this was nice. I liked not getting sick. So, and I experimented on myself first before I recommended on it to other people. So even though all these people have been doing it on their own, I had I, I had to experiment on myself. So. I decided that bubbling in the water was a good thing. And I built a little electrolyzer called the ER50 that people could uh, buy instead of a $3,000 machine, they could buy one that was only a few hundred dollars for a kit. So the, uh, and then I sold thousands of those and the testimonials really started to pour in then. Now from 2007, when I started to sell the ER50s until March of 2016, I didn't, I, I, I was telling people because they were asking, can we inhale the gas? Now we were bubbling it in the water and they were asking, can we inhale? Now I knew Brown's gas to be an explosive gas. I was using it to increase the combustion efficiency on vehicles. I, I was using it as a torch fuel gas. I, I have all these uh, different reasons that I was using Brown's gas, knowing it as a combustible gas. And I figured it was not a good idea to be inhaling a potentially explosive gas. Then in, in December of 2015, a customer who I had told not, not to inhale or recommending not to inhale, sent me a video from a Korean hydrogen bar using what I knew to be a Brown's gas machine to uh, have their customers inhaling. And I realized that I was wrong <laughs> again. Okay, this is that wrong part. And, and the point being is that if you inhale a small amount of hydrogen under the explosive limit, it's not explosive. So you can get all the health benefits without the explosion. And shortly after that, in about uh, 2007, uh, there were people starting to experiment with Brown's gas with uh, rodents and such. They'd build a, a small terrarium and they'd make sure that the hydrogen content in the air was uh, 2%. So all the virtually all the scientific studies that were being done was 2% hydrogen, not 4.7%, which was potentially explosive, but only 2%. And they were getting all of these different kinds of health benefits. 100% positive, zero negative side effects. You can't say that about any drug, but this is nutrition. So 
uh, um, positive results. Everything they were trying it on. like And like the chiropractor I talked about, Lloyd Jacob, uh, they were finding, he was finding additional things than what he was treating were healing on the people's body. And they were finding the same thing in the rodent studies and, and, and things like that. So the, uh, they would find if they were going in testing for one particular disease and there was something else wrong, that would get healed as well. So universally a good healing gas in the, in the scientific studies, inhaling as well as drinking. So they, a lot of times they were drinking and it turns out people have been drinking uh, hydrogen rich water for over 40 years, uh, over 45, almost 50 now because of something that they, because of a confusion, a mistake, people are, were always thinking that alkaline water was healthful because the alkaline water makers who made inline electrolyzers like uh, Kangen Can Can and uh, Life and a few of the others uh, were proving with scientific studies that their water, their high pH water was healthful. And it is, okay? But it wasn't because of the pH. Somebody approximately five years ago got around to actually testing and they, they took away the hydrogen out of the water and the health benefits disappeared. So they took away the hydrogen left in the pH and the health benefits disappeared. They left in the hydrogen and neutralized it so there wasn't high pH and the health benefits were maintained. For all these years, it was the hydrogen in the water, not the pH of the water that was having the health benefit. So that was a just side effect of, of that particular mistake that was going on. So, shoot, I lost a train of my thought. What was the question? <laughs> well, we were we were talking about the health benefits in general, but I did have another question. If oh you yes, would... I remember where we where we were. So it was the uh, the hydrogen uh, um, for danger. So the hydrogen is not dangerous uh, theoretically. If you if you replaced enough hydrogen, so you're only breathing hydrogen, you would suffocate because there's not enough oxygen, but that's literally the only other uh, other thing that, than the explosive. The other thing with the AquaCure is lye. People are scared of lye. And the, the lye is the catalyst we use in the machine to uh, help make the Browns gas. Now the lye is supposed to stay in the machine. It isn't part of what you inhale. The uh, Browns gas is doesn't have any lye in it. But since you're handling some lye, we, we make sure that people do that safely. Uh, and those are the two uh, uh, safety concerns with the uh, with the Browns gas. First of all, make sure it's a non-explosive mixture you're inhaling. And second of all, make sure that the lye stays in the machine. So did you remember the question you were just going to ask? Well, yeah, it's, it's somewhat of a question. It kind of connects to the thought I had about the H-bomb and just the the misnomer in general you know this is a philosophy podcast so sometimes we just speculate on why things are the way they are and it seems like people unanimously agree that the sun is life-giving right we can all look at the sun and say okay this is why plants grow there's other factors but the sun is a source of life well scientists are telling us that the sun is just a big ball of burning hydrogen aren't they so there has to be I mean, some metaphysical explanation for that. Hydrogen is the first element on the periodic table of elements. I don't know if that's a coincidence. Uh, any thoughts on that? It's not a coincidence. <laughs> now, this gets into a little philosophy, but spirituality as well, as well as the physical. I call hydrogen the God molecule. 
Like it's the first thing in, in outer space, they, they, they find that hydrogen can spontaneously appear and disappear, interestingly enough. And most, well over 70% of the entire universe is made of hydrogen. They're, they're seeing hydrogen, including in the stars and like our sun and things like that. So hydrogen, in my experience, is the first uh, physical manifestation of whatever this energetic thing is that underlies our, our, spirit, our, our physical space. That, that allows us to be in what we consider this time-space continuum. So in any case, the hydrogen appears, and then based on the experiments that I've, that I've done and all the things that I've learned, everything else comes from hydrogen. All the other elements, as the hydrogen loses its energetic value and, and goes denser and denser, you can actually make gold from hydrogen, for example. So... It, virtually everything uh, comes from it. Now, uh, one of the interesting things about Brown's gas is you can actually neutralize radioactivity, point, ne radioactive neutralization. Been proven in the Chalk River uh, 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 Research Nuclear Reactor in Canada, in uh, Chalk River, Ontario, and it's been proven in China and, and in California and a few other places as well. So if you take the uh, 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 nuclear waste, it has to be concentrated waste because it we're, we're not talking about cooking the entire environment, but if you have concentrated waste like out of a nuclear reactor and you cook it with the Brown's gas, when it's mixed with iron and aluminum, the iron and aluminum will form uh, something called thermite in the process of all this being mixed together and puddling. And when the thermite goes pop, the uh, neutralization of the radioactive waste disappears. So in about uh, 20 seconds, you can get rid of nuclear uh, a radioactive material it will the material is still there but it's no longer radioactive and one of the reasons that it is radioactive is because you have material uh, atoms that have had their electrons stripped off so what happens is it tries to emit uh particles from its protons and neutrons until it can balance itself again with uh, with whatever electrons are left in its shell so the uh, that's why radioactive uh, material is emitting all of these uh, beta, gamma, everything it can to try to uh, get back to a stable state. When you cook it with the Brown's gas, you're you're giving it the energy, electrons, remember, we got the electrically expanded water, the energy it needs, but when it goes pop, it actually can rearrange the uh, molecular structure into a different material. It's like, like a, a black rock, but it's not uh, uh, radioactive anymore. Everything has sorted itself out. So uh, Brown's gas can, can neutralize the radioactive waste. So we get we get these interesting things that Brown's gas can do that, that are very hard to do any other way. And these can be done even in, in a household situation. So you're, you're thinking the H-bomb. The, uh, the one hydrogen bomb that is just short of nuclear is the uh, hydrogen gas bomb. And if you watch a movie called Outbreak with Dustin Hoffman, they actually show this bomb exploding two different times in the show. And the idea being they wipe out the city that has the outbreak in it uh, with this thing that, that just burns up everything, but no radioactivity left because it's a, a hydrogen oxygen bomb. They, they put this hydrogen oxygen gas out and then ignite it and just boom, the whole thing just explodes uh, um, and, and just wipes everything out, including all the viruses or pathogens that would be that needing to be wiped out. And of course, all the people and monkeys and everything else too. <laughs> just So 
that was one of the uh, the interesting things about that show. Yeah, that, I'm glad nobody that, proposed that for the last uh, two years of what we went through. That would have been a whole lot of wasted hydrogen. But uh, wow, that's yeah, that's really interesting. I was just at the Susquehanna River, and you might be familiar with the Three Mile Island uh, incident. And a person who I spoke with on another podcast is a local expert who's very concerned with the aftermath and how it hasn't really been dealt with. And I'm wondering, considering everything we've talked about with rivers, if there's any way that Brown's gas can be used in an environment. I know you said we couldn't use that particular technique the way you would manage nuclear radiation, but... Is there any sort of concept that might be feasible to clean up a, a, an environment that's been tainted with nuclear waste, especially a, a river? There might be, but I don't know it. Hmm. I, I say there might be because I know of a fellow, I'm not remembering his name right now, for some reason, John Ellis. No, that's a different guy. The, uh, oh, geez, I wish I could just, it, it's not popping into my head. He's an Australian. Uh, has been working with water in particular ways that does clean up large bodies of water, uh, a technique that that does do that. Um, he's talking. My mind is just stuck on one particular name, but it isn't the right one. The uh, it may come to me, but in any case, well, he can, we should uh, shift focus anyways because we we want to express the healing benefits of hydrogen and i think dispelling a little bit of people's concerns and the misnomers that have been associated with hydrogen are essential but yeah i, I think you know people are going to have more practical questions as well like how often can somebody use this water use brown's gas in their daily life is it something you can use multiple times a day you've had the it in your nose this whole conversation so I imagine this is something that you can integrate into your life in a, a pretty major way. Is that a fair estimate? Yes. You will. You don't want to be smoking while you inhale, though. That would be combustible? That would be combustible. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for clearing that up. That, you wouldn't clear hear that, that, that on any other I podcast. Have, I have but. actually had two people tell me what, what uh, this instance, and I was thinking they had big balls that, that they would they would actually admit to this. But and, and essentially, the, the gas, as soon as you're inhaling it, is not explosive. But right as soon as it comes out of the cannulas, right at that point, it is potentially explosive, but it, but it explodes back into the machine. It doesn't explode out into the air because what's mixed with the air is non-explosive. Mm. So it explodes back into the machine. But then it uh, causes stress in the machine, and, 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 it, and it's a loud noise like a gunshot, and, and you, know, you might have to clean your under, underwear afterward just because you think whoa <laughs> but in any case that's, that's a good uh, warning for this show <laughs> yeah i have a spare pair of underwear in any case you don't want to be uh, uh, uh smoking or have open flame somewhere near your nose while you're uh, inhaling the gas right. okay so uh, other than that uh it's nothing but but good health benefits like the things i've heard like and seen in studies uh what I say is it helps the body heal from virtually every ailment known to man. They've, they've done thousands of studies now with uh, hydrogen and Brown's gas uh, and every single one, like 100%. Now, we're not talking the uh, rodents anymore. In fact, one of the things with the rodents was longevity. 
the least long that the uh, hydrogen uh, um, rodents lasted was 30% longer lifespan. And, and that's really important because these, these little critters, critters only live a year or two, right? So the uh, so they were getting a 30, some of them were getting 50%. One particular uh, uh, rat study, they, they, were, they were well over 50%. And the study ended like they ran out of funding and they euthanized them. Mm. So who knows how long those rats would have lived? Right. Well, and even in humans, I mean, people tend to be more forward thinking with this kind of stuff, it seems, in the East. And there are people in Japan, and, and you mentioned earlier in Korea, where they had a whole hydrogen bar. But there are people in Japan who live in what's called a blue zone, right? And there are several blue zones around the world. They're supposed to be the healthiest places to live. But apparently they tested some of these folks' uh, respiratory system and found a high amount of hydrogen being expelled in their their breath. Is that... Uh, and another example of the longevity here? Yes, that particular study was several families. So mm. it, was, it was hundreds of people. And what they did is they had two groups. They had a short-lived group, people, families that lived short lives and families that lived long lives. And they tested the hydrogen in the breath of both. And they found that universally, the people with the most hydrogen in their breath lived the longest. The ones with the least hydrogen lived the shortest. So that, and, and that, yes, that was a Japanese study. Wow. Yeah. And of course there's other factors at play, but I, I think with everything we endure in our modern society, at least here in the West, this could be something that really helps anyone listening. It's this is not just for someone who has a, an ailment. This is a way to really stabilize the effects that are being done to you really uh, under your nose. I mean, some people <laughs> like myself in a, in a past life were very unhealthy. I, I was just eating, you know, whatever junk was available and, and not really considering the damage I was doing to my growing body. And I reversed a lot of that quickly, you know, after realizing what I was doing. And now I'm still, you know, just a young man. I feel like I could take on anything and I don't take the most caution in my health. But I wonder, because I've, I've begun to eat one meal to two meals tops a day. And I, I've heard other people talk about this, but there's this idea that we as human beings are eating too much to compensate for the lack of nutrition in the food that we're eating so where it's like a never-ending cycle and it feels like maybe this is a solution to that have you heard people's appetites lessening or people maybe losing weight from using the aqua cure machine that is a really good question you you're you're very you're you're really nailing these these uh, points here thank you okay first of all i started to gain weight on the uh when i was inhaling uh and and I was eating a fairly nutritious diet at the at the time. In fact, I uh, even right beside me here, I I have a jar of uh, uh, nuts and fruits and stuff that I I usually just munch on when I'm eating at my desk because I I'm I'm a lot of times uh, just uh, just here. So my my point is, I started eating only once a day myself because otherwise I would start to gain weight. Most of my nutrition is coming from the hydrogen. 
the most of what you need in in your food. Now we're talking hydrocarbon food, so we'll just we'll just backtrack just again a little bit. How do we get our hydrogen? We don't breathe it in with the air. We obviously get it with our food. Now, ordinarily, we masticate our food, we chew it up really well, and we put enzymes in the food that then that food goes into our stomach in an acid bath, which does some more digesting, uh, getting some of the nutri nutrients out of it and what have you. And then it goes into the small intestines with the bile and some additional microbiome. But you don't actually get the hydrogen from your food until it's in the colon and the large intestine just before it's exiting you, okay? Now, there, there are uh, specialized bacteria that uh, are, are more specialized in, in breaking apart the hydrogen from the carbon. The hydrogen-carbon bond is very strong. It takes a lot of energy to break it apart. Now, what they're doing with the enzymes and insects is adding what they call catalysts that help reduce the amount of energy, make that bond weaker to the point where it can be broken apart. And then the hydrogen goes directly through the colon wall into the bloodstream, and that's how we get our hydrogen into our bloodstream normally when we're eating our food. Now I'm supplementing by putting hydrogen into my bloodstream just in my lungs, just with the inhaling it. And that's a really good way to do it as well for supplementation. Because those particular bacteria that are most efficient at breaking the hydrogen off the carbons are also very sensitive to environmental factors uh, like the uh, artificial sweeteners, uh, glyphosate, uh, the uh, antibiotics. The antibiotics is a is a modern medical miracle, but it kills the good bacteria as well as the bad bacteria. So even though it saved a lot of lives, the overall health of our entire population, because there's very few people that haven't had antibiotics at some point or other in their life, uh, overall health of our of our civilization has reduced because we're killing off the hydrogen uh, breaking off bacteria in our microbiome. That then, because we have a lack of hydrogen. We go through the series of we don't regenerate as well as we should, where our immune system starts to shut down, all of these other kinds of things. So it, it'll be good if we can get that type of microbiome reestablished, which is there are people that are working on that. But in the meantime, we can bypass all that and provide hydrogen and energy directly into our body to uh, uh, get this, get what we need. Um, shoot, I think I went off topic. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you answered it wonderfully. Oh, yes, I think the one we, food, we were the one just food. talking so, yes. about how people compensate for the lack of hydrogen by eating more and more and more. And really, it's right. a matter of their bacteria and their colon and their gut, I'm sure, being depleted. And yeah, I, I try to avoid them now. I've always had a suspicion, you know, growing up in the tri-state area, you have a lot of, we're inundated with this kind of thinking. I mean, I live right near you know, Yale University. So there's a big like hospital medical energy and, and focus here. And people are becoming like hypochondriacs uh, as a reflex, as if that's common sense. And I think that's the most radical thing that's changed. Uh, and I, I remember just having a, a normal childhood, getting my hands and feet dirty and coming home and you know, just being a kid and, and never feeling sick. I've, I was not the type of kid to, to lose school days. I was always at school, never stayed home sick. And I think there's a degeneration that's going on overall of our health as a society. And, and if this can compensate and reverse a lot of what's been going on, 
you know, that's, that's brilliant. And I, I think this conversation and this point that you just made helps people make the connection. Cause now people are starting to realize they need to take care of their gut. And I wonder if people maybe go too far with things like detoxing and, uh, getting all of this, you know, feces removed from their gut because all of that stuff is essential to our health. You know, you hear people getting a cleanse, they're cleansing all that stuff from their body as if that's supposed to help. I, I feel like maybe just if they had more hydrogen, they, they wouldn't need to cleanse or detox. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be some detox in any case and cleansing in any case. And people are coming up with some really good ways of doing that these days. Uh, I think there's a, a double edge in, a, in what's going on here. We're not getting the nutrition that we need from our food partially because of the microbiome issue. But even if you're eating high, uh, food that should be highly nutritious, nuts and fruits, and it, a lot of that doesn't have the nutrition in it anymore because of the way that we're farming and, and it's stripping the nutrients out of the soil and, and not growing in an organic matter. Uh, so I think a lot of the food that we eat doesn't even have the nutrition in it to start with. And another thing I wanted to mention as well is that Asia all the Asian countries, China, Korea, Japan, uh, uh, all these countries are way ahead of us with the Browns gas. Most of the of the advances with Browns gas for health are actually coming from the Asian countries. We are our, our uh, first world, if you will, the uh, Americas and Europe, uh, even Australia. We're way behind, way way behind, and part of it had to do with Yul Brown, because when Yul Brown was starting to promote the gas, uh, he he ended up going to Asia into some of these large research centers and they were open to it because at that point they were doing a huge uh, surge in their um, in their economies and building a lot of cities and that kind of thing. So they were looking at all the uh, technologies that they could get from uh, like, for example, Australia. Yul Brown was in Australia at the time and North America. So they, they were just building their countries up and they've done a really good job of doing that. But they didn't have the original infrastructure like the gas uh, infrastructure, acetylene, for example, which we get in bottles. So they didn't have bottled infrastructure over there for torches and stuff. So they, they simply started building these Browns gas machines to operate their torches over there. And of course, then that just morphed right into the health savings because, for example, one particular... Uh, uh, Asian gentleman started buying my water torches for his clinics. And he actually patented the Browns gas in Asia using my water torches for his uh, health purposes, for the health purposes. And they documented a huge number of things about how that it was healing Parkinson's and, uh, and bones and all these, all these kind of things. In, and that's all documented in the patent mm. that, that they put forth. Now with this work you're doing, obviously, you know, you've been on a bunch of podcasts and I wonder if they've received any flack or censorship from those episodes. There is the conversation about the fuel savers in the cars and how eventually that became something that wasn't feasible for you to do because of government suppression, right? And to some extent, maybe the industry suppressing it. Are you feeling that in this current work that you're doing is there been any hints of that or are you worried at all or are you not concerned with, with i am concerned because of my my previous experience with the fuel saver 
uh, and I'm I'm an inventor. I'm on the edge, and I'm doing things that uh, people with a lot of money don't want me to do. <laughs> so, and a lot of control. I uh, I can go into stories about things that happened with my fuel saver business, uh, which would definitely raise the hairs on the back of anybody's neck. Um, and, but I was able to. I was investigated seven times by various government agencies, for example. Every single one of the investigations fizzled out to nothing because I wasn't cheating anybody. There was no fraud. What I was doing worked. And there's a, there's but there's a whole bunch of stories on that kind of thing, where I had that uh, fighting. Now I happen to know that as big as the uh, fuel industry was, the pharmaceutical industry is bigger, and and you can look at what they've done to the world just to know that they they pretty much control the media and the uh, and all the allopathic doctors and and governments and it's it's a conspiracy so large that people can't even believe it's a conspiracy it's it's absolutely crazy some of these people have more money than governments so in any case they've done a really good job of uh, of convincing me that they are very wealthy powerful people making money because by keeping people sick the, the there's actually a study you can look it up i i don't have a direct link to it but there's a study relatively easy to find, that shows that health is not profitable. They actually did a study and, and showed that uh, unhealth, Ill, Ill at ease, disease is profitable. So the allopathic uh, method, generally speaking, with the pharmaceuticals is to mitigate symptoms, not cure disease. As long as you can make the people feel healthy, you can keep selling them the drug or whatever it is that's making them feel healthy. But as soon as they stop, their blood pressure rises, whatever the situation is, that they have to start taking it again. So that's one of the things with the Browns gas when, you, when you're starting inhaling. I have an 87-year-old friend, for example, uh, who's been inhaling for several years now. And if he stops inhaling, within about three days, his blood pressure rises enough that he would have to take his medication. So he doesn't take that medication. He just inhales the Browns gas and he's got a healthy, healthy guy. So, and pain-free, this is a big, big, big thing. Uh, as you get older, you start to feel your pains. And with the Browns gas, I have no pain. Like even if I get a sprain, I got a, I sprained my shoulder one time uh, putting in a fence post uh, about three years back. Uh, I'd been inhaling the Browns gas for about a year at that particular time. And it was a sprain bad enough. I knew it would take at least six weeks to heal based on my previous experience of all my life. I couldn't raise my arm. Three days, three days. I was absolutely had full strength back, no pain whatsoever. It was incredible. Wow. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, we've had extreme sports professionals on this show before I've had, I do a show with one and uh, I can imagine there's a big need for that in that field. You know, a lot of those guys, unfortunately beat themselves up, you know, over time and they, they end up with a lot of different ailments in their, in their elder age. And, and it's unfortunate because, you know, they live these really athletic, inspiring lives, martial artists as well. And, and then they, um, you know, sadly wither away and that's a, even a, a unfortunate thing to say but when it comes to this possibility of a cure-all healing you know this is something that yeah the pharmaceutical industries really the government itself is designed to fight against this is inherent you know it's a part of the psychology of being 
in this society to, you know, run to your doctor every time you have the littlest problem. And yeah, that's, that's been weaponized. You know, it, it certainly has been weaponized. Now, when it comes to more serious ailments, is there any effects on, let's say, our genetic code? Does this affect our uh, DNA? How are there any, you know, examples of tests on like, you know, someone's, you know, health after hydrogen and dealing with maybe a, a disease like, uh, you know, MS or something serious, very serious. Has we entertained that possibility? There, there is. I'm going to backtrack just a quick thing about to completely answer or to finish answering the suppression. No, I haven't yet seen anything other than perhaps um, uh, surveillance. I haven't had any active suppression that I that I have seen yet for the Brown's gas for health. And you can actually look up Brown's gas for health in a in a search engine, and you'll be led to my page just um, uh, to to kind of get going. So in any case, um, I assume there will be, because when when big pharma really understands, which I don't think they do, when they really understand what this can do. <laughs> I'm hoping to have it out there everywhere. In fact, uh, uh, there's a couple of things I'm doing to help that process happen because again, I'm just one person. I can only help so many people. So what I'm doing is making this course that allows it to spread all over the world. There's, there will be manufacturers in every country, hopefully every state, every county. That, And, and one of the big problems with a new technology is lack of technicians. As an automotive technician myself, automotive mechanic, I understand that. There has to be one in every city. There's lots of people with automobiles. They have to be fixed. If there's lots of these Brown's gas machines around, they're going to have to be fixed. There has to be technicians. So my course trains the people how to manufacture, which is a large part of what people then need to know to be able to uh, be technicians. So in addition to spreading it out, diversifying it, so there isn't just one person to suppress, I'm also making the technicians out there so that the, the technology can survive and, and be maintained. So that's what I'm doing to bypass this suppression before they really realize what it can do. Because when they realize what it can do, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> okay, so getting back to your other question about the DNA. Hydrogen is a part of everything in us. Nothing happens chemical uh, building-wise without hydrogen. Every, every in one way or another, either directly or indirectly, every chemical process, every every cell in our being, even right to the DNA structure itself, the the DNA uh, um, is built around a spine of water, for example. Each DNA uh, molecule uh, strand. So everything comes back to hydrogen in one way or another in the body. There is there's nothing that doesn't use it, uh, like. Like I say, we're six, 62 percent hydrogen. So you can imagine just how much of us uh, is the hydrogen, because obviously we're not a big gas balloon off to one side. It's just an integ in integral in our body. So the DNA as well. And when it, I I don't know of studies that have particularly researched the DNA. I I believe there would be, but I'm more of a mechanic than a than a. Um, 
a biology researcher, so I I can't uh, speak to that authoritatively. But it wouldn't surprise me that the that it does help uh, fix D- your body can use it to help fix DNA, mm. to maybe make the telomere strings longer, for example, things like that. I know I've personally experienced a couple of decades retrograde in my biological health, where I'm I'm younger now biologically than I was, and and I'm actually stronger than I was in my forties. I can I can do things now that I couldn't do in my forties physically. So I'm I I believe that that would be a true thing to assume. I don't have the proof that the uh, that it. It affects that it helps the body heal DNA. Now that said, if you change your DNA with these, uh, I'm going to call it Kool-Aid that's going around being uh, given to everybody that actually then changes the DNA. I don't know if the body can change it back to the original. So a person has to be careful about that sort of thing. Well said, and I appreciate you taking concern with that because we do want to put this on YouTube and spread this out to as many people as possible. And yeah, wow, I'm inspired. I want to make like a banner and put it off near the highway so people could see, you know, just something like research Brown's gas, you know, you know all, all you need is a little hint like that and, and for your health and then the website URL on the bottom. I mean, yeah, this is really exciting. I, I have a, a grandmother in her 90s. And then on my father's side, I have both of my grandparents and they're in their early 80s. And um, it's always, you know, been a concern of mine, how they feel, their well-being. And I would love to, you know, try this with them. I mean, it's been tough. My grandmothers both don't even want to try CBD. I tried to explain to them that it won't get them high and they don't they take one look at me and they, they're like yeah right <laughs> so you know it's it's tough but i think this is something that's a little more neutral as far as that's concerned and and i wonder if there is like a a push towards psychedelics now because of the pharmaceutical industry just being so uh, glued in this model this path that they've carved in our psyche of you know take something and you'll feel better uh, and I think, yeah, this is counterintuitive. It's a totally different way to look at it. And, and it backs up with some esoteric sciences, some esoteric history. I don't know how familiar you are. You said you have a, a great book collection. I believe you, even though I'm suspicious that the one behind you is digitally rendered. I, I It's a green glow. But uh, I'm wondering if you've ever heard this. There's a book out there called The Secret History of the World. Uh, by Mark Booth. And in it, I read something that really struck me. It's always stuck with me for a while since I first read it. And it was that human beings have gone through many stages of development in esoteric history, as far as their physical bodies are concerned. And there is an initial early stage where what we would consider conscious beings were comprised of gas and the whole world was gas. And it seems like, based on what you just said, that checks out. We're still 62% gas, you know. Yeah, we can, like, knock ourselves on the arm and we're solid. But there are so, there's so many levels to this world that we're living in. I want to ask you, you know, your spiritual thoughts on, on what's going on and, and, you know, 
how you reconcile what you're doing with your spiritual beliefs. Do you think of yourself as somebody who's channeling this information or do you just chalk it up to just being a, a technical wizard? Cause you are a wizard. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is some sort of uh, technical wizardry, if anything. Uh, I, I think I am tuning into something that uh, is highly mechanically capable. Uh, but, and I, and I also think, now I'm a bit of a traditionalist as far as that goes, not so much into uh, astrology, but I give it full credit. I've I've seen a lot of uh, very interesting things, and one thing you're not supposed to do as an inventor is throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. You want to always uh, keep the uh, keep an open mind, which I I find difficult to do in some cases. But uh, I I do believe in a in a biblical God, uh, uh, a universal intelligence that. Uh, makes this whole physical reality. Uh, it makes the rules for this whole physical reality. Sets, it makes it so that gravity makes things fall down, so that water is wet, and all all these all the things that we see in our science uh, are set up with these particular rules that make this universe the way it is. If you change something, we'd be in a different universe. And I think there may be multiple universes as far as as that goes. But we're living in this one in this physical reality, which I believe that we can we can change and create, co-create ourselves. We, uh, it's been shown that we can, with our minds, change our DNA. That's been scientifically proven. Um, and I think it's one of the ways that we as people evolve, and, and animals as well. Uh, they, they, need to, they need to have some particular ability, and they just think it into existence. So the, uh, I think that there is something to this uh, universal intelligence that we can sometimes uh, uh, clue into. And if I, if I step back into my uh, biblical uh, training, I have essentially a Jonah story. Uh, you now people are familiar with Jonah. He, he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. And he went out on a ship and the, the sailor and a big storm. And the only way to stop the storm was to show, throw Jonah overboard and a whale swallowed him and brought him up and spit him out on the shore. So Jonah went through a lot of difficulties because he wasn't doing what God wanted him to do. And essentially, it's the same thing with me uh, in my life. I've discovered that there's a certain path that uh, is, and I'm not on this path because of um, because I'm, I feel I have to. I, I actually do feel I have to, but I'm not being obligated to. I'm on this path because I choose to. I want to help people. But I had to learn to want to help people. I had to learn that uh, this was the thing I wanted to do with my life. So, the in in my past, I had a lot of trials and tribulations that I I eventually realized that the the best thing I could do with my life was to help as many people as possible be healthy. And so I I made it my life mission to do that. And and the thing that's that channeled into me starting let's say back in uh, the er, uh, late eight, uh, 1980s when I first learned about Brown's gas and learned did all these experiments with Brown's gas and, and learned intimately uh, the best way to build an electrolyzer to make Brown's gas and all the different uh, factors that go into uh, keeping it safe and then by 1996 learning about the health aspect and just gradually learning, learning, learning a curve. You can see it in my whole life that brought me to this point, to the point where I realized that 
the things I wanted to do in life, like uh, invent a free energy machine, because I consider myself an alternative energy researcher, wasn't what God was saying I should be doing. <laughs> I should be I should be helping the planet. And I'm hoping I'm I'm attributing him to be a he like a, but it's a it's an essence that we neither male nor female kind of thing. But in any case, I. Uh, I'm hoping he'll let me get back to my alternative energy research because I did a lot of good things and I've got a lot of ideas that I want to bring out into the world. But at the at the moment right now, it's very important. And I feel this channeling through me. It is not me. I'm, I'm an instrument. I'm a, a very willing instrument, but an instrument that's channeling this stuff out into the world as effectively as I can with it, with every hour and breath of my life. So I want to help as many people as possible be healthy. I also think that there's a lot of trials and tribulations coming very soon. I think that uh, if we're looking at biblical, you look at revelations, I think that a lot of the things that we're seeing going on in the world today can be seen as signs that are that are there. And if that is true, then we're going to have a lot of hard times coming up. But there's going to be peace on the other side, a thousand years of peace. These technologies, I believe, are what are needed on the other side. So we have to not only get them out there now, but preserve them in some way. So that as it goes through the trials and tribulations, uh, it's there on the other side as a practical choice for people to, to choose. And, and God is all about choice. That's one way you can always uh, tell the difference when you need to make a decision. Do you actually have a choice? I'm not talking about different Kool-Aids. Uh, but you have to drink the Kool-Aid. No, I'm I'm talking about whether you drink the Kool-Aid or not. That's a choice. Right. Okay, if you, if you kind of see what I'm saying. No, absolutely. And wow, I mean, this is really profound. And it's rare that I have an opportunity to ask someone like yourself a question like this. So here we go. Do you think that this information that you're channeling from God is something that is being brought into the world for the first time? Or have you ever wondered if maybe you're channeling something that existed in an ancient time or something that people used in maybe recent past, something that's been forgotten from our history? Again, excellent question. You're definitely crazy like me. Why can I say this? <laughs> but uh, I, I, again, I can't lay my hands directly on the, on the documentation, but I did see that hydrogen was being used for health 200 years ago, okay? Even before Michael Faraday invented the electrolysis process with electricity, they were making hydrogen with, with various means and they were using it for health purposes. So then medicine kind of forgot it and bypassed it. And I and I don't know why. And there's, and there's been some this is and that's over the years. So I'm not the first. But, uh, and, and I'm not the only at this particular point. If I was to disappear, the technology would still survive. There's a, there's, there's a lot of other people out there doing Brown's gas uh, or even oxyhydrogen for health. The technology I believe would survive even if I didn't. But, the, but I am doing my very best to help this process along. It, but, you're, but you're correct in your intuition that it has been around before, and it may even have been in previous civilizations. We know there's been many civilizations on the planet that have come and gone, and we are here now. And in this particular civilization, they, they've even shown 
uh, 5,000 years ago in Egyptian uh, times, they had batteries. They, they had earthen jars with, with oh, various yeah. things in there. And anytime you have electricity, you can make uh, Brown's gas. Well, and, and okay. let's also think about the possibility of the maybe allegorical value at the very least of the comparison to bread and mana and the, the you know, this bread that was given. I mean, bread is, is, is uses a gaseous process, right? At least breads that rise, leavened breads, but not, you know, what is it? Leavened breads are the ones that don't rise. Either way, I'm wondering, you know, have you ever thought maybe that was the mana that they were using from this mysterious machine that they talk about? Uh, the Ark of the Covenant, I think, was the device that they said put out the mana or something similar? Well, it would uh, extend life. That was one of the things. They also had, uh, when they were wandering in the desert and uh, starving, they, they had uh, water gush from rocks and manna fall from heaven kind of thing. So the uh, um, God takes care of us. We wouldn't be alive. We're, we're, we're literally loved into existence. Love is is the essence of life. And we're loved into existence. So anything that stops love is is a anti-life uh, a kind of a thing. And it occurred. It re, I remember too. The Egyptians are, were very into long life and afterlife and and extending life as uh, healthful life as long as possible kind of thing. So I'm I'm pretty sure they had the Browns gas and uh, and and then there was this other things. Lost in translation, if you will, but the the technology is here now. Right. Right. Wow. This is really profound stuff. We're almost at the end here anyways of our two-hour time slot, and I'd love to have you back on to, to get into this even further. But if you had to maybe sum it up in a few words, you know, what's the number one reason why someone should buy an aqua cure in your opinion and number two what helps you get through the day and, and this is as long as you want to go um <laughs> what helps you get through the day knowing this i mean there might be that paranoia of this being suppressed and whatnot but i mean the, it seems to me like your faith is very pronounced and i think that's something that people should take note of and, and try to integrate into their lives and wait for that inspiration that's waiting for all of us. You know, this is a, a part of being human. And I think a lot of people, you know, discuss these ideas and, and discount themselves as being a part of it. So, you know, doing all the things that you do, how do you say, stay sane? Like what, what are some things that you do on your daily week to, to keep it together aside from using the Brown's gas. Oh, well, you just cut it all out. <laughs> no, uh, no, it, it, sorry. It's that's my sense of humor. Um, okay. Why the aqua cure? You can, people can choose many things on the internet uh, that have to do with hydrogen or Brown's gas. And there are other alternatives. I believe I have the safest and the most practical. And it's also reasonably priced. You can buy ones that are $30,000 out there. You can even buy uh, technologies that all they do is put uh, frequency in water for $30,000. Uh, so we, we've priced it reasonably. We've made it safe 
safest machine. We've uh, done a one-year satisfaction guarantee. I want to help people. And I can't, I'm not an MD, so I can't make any claims So uh, for health or anything like that. So what I've decided to do instead is have a one-year satisfaction guarantee. People can use it for a year. And if you don't like the color of the paint, you can return it. It doesn't, doesn't matter why. Uh, although I have had some return that were never taken out of the box. <laughs> oh, my goodness, those poor people. Like it. But I'm trying to help as many people as possible. So when they get returned, then I just refurbish them. Or if they were new, I just send them out as new again. In any case, my point is uh, I have a one-year satisfaction guarantee and I have a lifetime warranty. Nobody else is doing this, but as long as long as the machine is out there, if there is uh, um, a, something that was a factory defect, even if it showed up years later, I will pay for the shipping to get the machine home, the parts and labor to fix it, and the shipping to get back. The person doesn't pay any additional. My my warranty is all inclusive and lifetime, and my and my satisfaction guarantee is for a, a full complete year. So there. And 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 if you return it within the year, like even if it goes beyond the year before I get it or something, that's fine. I'm I'm not, I I don't care, not an issue. So my return rate is less than two percent. Most of the time, less than one percent. So obviously, people out there that speaks for itself. People can return it if they wish, and they're not. So I'm thinking they're out there doing a good job. And of course, I build the machines because I'm lazy. I build the machines so that they last because I don't want them to coming back. I, I don't want to fix them again. I want them to be out there doing their job. And I believe I, I, I'm not in this for the money. I want to help people. This is, this is what I'm in it for. I want to help as many people as possible. So if somebody is not using a machine, I would rather give them their money back so I can put the machine out to somebody who can or will use the machine. I want every machine out there helping as many people as possible. You get a machine, help your whole family, help your neighbors. There's been there was people who uh, were sick next door, for example, with this uh, stuff going around, and a guy ran a hose from his house out the window to his neighbor, and and helped his neighbor. Uh, as far as it goes, I said things were uh, ahead over in in Asia. The number one treatment for the cooties that's going around, Brown's gas. Number one treatment in Asia. Wow. So that's uh, what, 1.4 billion people and just just in there. So in any case, the the main reason I think that people, why the AquaCure, I don't think anybody can beat us for uh, customer service, for the quality of the machine, for the practicality of the machine, for all of us trying our best here to make people healthy. I think that why me, what keeps me sane? Okay. A lot of it is the testimonials that come in. Like I, I read them out to the people that are working in the shop when they when the when the testimonials come in. It helps me get out of bed in the morning, every morning. Uh in fact, uh, a little too much maybe sometimes because my wife is a, is a bit of a work widow right now. I I'm now trying to change that over because she says, Why are we married? <laughs> You're just a warm spot in the bed. You get up at 3:30 in the morning, you don't come back from work until 8 30 at night sometimes it's it's uh and seven days a week I'll, I'll be working this this long and this hard to try to make sure that as many machines can get out there as possible 
So now with other people building the machines, I'll be able to step back and actually have a, a, a life, live a life that's that's fun instead of just working all the time. But I'm but I'm driven with this passion to make sure that as many people as possible can get uh, well and healthy. And speaking with people like yourself, that that's one of the things that has been a blessing is I've been meeting people like yourself who are as crazy as I am. <laughs> and realizing you're not alone. And I commend you for putting the time aside to to join me and, and others on the podcast, because I know that could be exhausting. Uh, I'm a, a bit of a work widow myself. So, uh, well, she is. I'm the widower in this situation. But either way, um, this has been a fantastic conversation, George. And I know folks can go to which website and if they want to buy an aqua cure they can use the promo code mftic and they'll get a discount uh what where where should they go for that the best place to go is eagle-research.life so eagle like the bird e-a-g-l-e hyphen mark don't forget that hyphen and then research.life and they'll that'll you can explore everything about the Brownscast there. It's a little sub website I built off to the side of my .com website, because on the .com website, I have all my other fuel savers and alternative energy. It's hard to find everything over there. So in the .life website, uh, you can just see about the Brownscast, see testimonials. I, I only put a fraction of them up there. I don't have, I haven't had time to put up. I have hundreds uh, and scientific studies and things like that for the, uh, for the Brownscast and the and then you can, uh, when you click on the AquaCure to buy it from there, it then takes you to the dot com website to actually purchase it. Fantastic! Wow, and you know you're doing great work. It's a noble cause, and I'm I'm with you. I hope we can spread this message even further, and more people can begin to heal because that's what the Earth needs right now. And and especially if what you said is true, and and we're coming upon hard times. Me, I try to keep my attention away from all the mass media madness. I'm sure you do the same with your work schedule. And, and I find that that eases the potential paranoia. Uh, so I hope people don't get too discouraged and worried and say, oh, well, what the heck do I need an aqua cure for if the world's going to end? The world's not going to end, folks. And we need you at your best, at your healthiest to take it on together. So George Wiseman, Thank you so much for being here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And for everyone listening, enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now and get yourself an AquaCure, promo code MFTIC. All right, and that is our interview with George Wiseman, hopefully the first of many conversations and i'm excited i'm excited for the listeners of this show to be able to purchase an aqua cure and tell us all about their experience how it's helped them and i'm excited because george said he would send me an aqua cure and i feel very grateful um two thousand five hundred dollars is not in my budget and i'm sure that's true for a lot of you but if it isn't a problem and you can afford it which i think if you can it's a great investment in your health like i said you could use the promo code mftic and get 20 percent off and of course you're supporting the show because 10 percent of that 
price goes to me uh, when you use that promo code so please folks let's drum up some support spread the good word and like i said i'm gonna use it with my family i'm gonna share the water share the gas if they're willing and it, i think it's a tremendous blessing and yeah I, i'm sure i'll be talking about it a lot during future outros so we'll keep this one short i'm gonna enjoy the ever expanding now please go to eagle-research.com to check out more all about not just brown's gas but the amazing plethora of inventions and innovations that george wiseman has created and worked on throughout his long career it's really some tremendous stuff hence why i said we got to have him back on because we really just talked about hydrogen and brown's gas during this interview so we'll be getting into more with him for sure but hydrogen seems like the solution folks it makes sense it's a hydrocarbon world that we're dieting in and it's this hydrocarbon macronutrient hydro gin browns gas that might be exactly what you need i'm going to give it a try and tell everybody my experience right here on the show so that's exciting as well as for now enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now Now I'm peeking through the curtain at the sky. I need 
try, gain the wisdom on the fly. I'm touching base with things I can't explain. Gods without names on a different plane. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Hardly feeling like a person, but the vibes are perfect. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Cells out of service can't reach me on the circuit. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait, I'm peeking through the curtain. Hardly feeling like a person, but the vibes are perfect. Uh, I'm peeking through the curtain. Nothing is for certain, but I feel it like a purpose. Wait.